back to the series called Landmines, um, which is uh, kind of something that we've, we've tried hard to speak some truth on some difficult topics, uh, to speak some truth, to give some life uh, to things maybe that we generally will steer away from and not ultimately want to talk about. And over the course of the last about seven, eight weeks, we've sort of been talking about these topics that a lot of churches would rather just leave alone. Uh, and today is, is kind of the, the big ending to this that really is at the heart of all the other topics that we've talked about. Today we're going to try to delve in, put a toe into the pool, if you will, into talking about identity. Now, identity is something that our world is, is fascinated with right now. We're talking about it all the time in so many different venues. And I want us to just speak about this for a little bit today, talk about how we define identity and what that really means especially for us as people of faith. And the way, maybe the way to illustrate this is uh, when I was in grad school, uh, we took like philosophy classes, which you have to do. So you have kind of a philosophy 101 or whatever you call it in there. And in grad school, the way that it works is like this. Uh, you have 12 weeks. It's one course per week. I mean, it's three, you take three courses, three to four per semester. They're three-hour classes, usually on one day. And for each class, you generally have to read one book per week. So if you have a 12-week class on philosophy or theology or something else, you have to generally read one book a week. So you take that, you know, 12 books for that class times three classes, it's a lot of reading. You spend your life reading, and it's, it's just a large, large portion of your day. Well, what we did in this philosophy course is we uh, had to read this one book. And I'm talking, this was the book that was five, 600 pages. And it was about as exciting as dry toast when you read it. The closest I could figure after reading about 50 pages of this book was the person who wrote this had been locked in a cave for 10 years, and any thought that they had had, they put into this book. And it was awful. And, and I cannot express, I am not one of those people that considers myself, uh, you know, hating of knowledge, but I wanted to burn this book. I got about 100 pages. It was one of those that you read, and what are they trying to say, and what's going on here, and then you'd have to reread something, and so it took an enormous amount of time. And as I was seeing my classmates at some of our other classes in the week, we were talking about Thursday's 1 to 4 class, which was our philosophy class. And we were already like, what is going on with this book, and why are we reading, and this is awful, it doesn't even make sense, and we don't believe most of the, I mean, what, what is this teacher thinking, what is our professor thinking in assigning this book? And so we're all just mad, we're all just upset, and, and, and the more that I read, the more that I, I just hated this person, and I, I wished ill on their life for writing this book. We get, we get to our class, 1 o'clock on a Thursday. And the prof I mean, we're, we're just, we're rearing to go. We are so mad. And he says, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to get through our material today, and then we'll talk about the book. And we're all like, yeah, you bet we're going to talk about this book. And he goes for about two hours and 40 minutes, and is just teaching. And, and the more that he teaches, the more mad we're all getting. Now we have 20, I've had to read a 600-page book this week so that we can talk for 20 minutes. And so he's, so like the last 20 minutes, I mean, we're all like, hey, we need to get to this. Because we got things to say. We got feelings we need to express. Otherwise, we're going to all start drinking, you know, when we get home tonight. I mean, we probably did that anyway. But, but, but the reality is, I mean, we were just like, we, you know, this is bad. And he says, okay, let's talk about the book. Yes, let's talk about the book. 
and he says, I really don't like it. Just, what? I don't agree with most of what this person is saying, which, you know, just makes us all relax and feel great about it. But he says, you've got to learn to read the other side. Good scholarship is not just about reading what you believe and what speaks to you. You have got to learn to read people on the other side of the aisle and understand where they're coming from because that perspective is ours. And we can't just spend our lives ignoring the other side. He said, I know I could have told you that, but reading this book and having this experience is one that you will remember. And sure enough, 20 years later, I still remember that experience. Because we've got to learn to see both sides. Listen, we live in a world where some, there's some you know, catch lingo that, that people are using. We use the word identify. How do you identify? You probably hear this in your conversations, right? And, and all of us in our lives have to realize that there are moments, there are times that we identify differently with different things. I used to identify as single. Now I identify as married. I used to identify as more South African because that's where I grew up. Now I identify more as American because I've lived here longer. Uh, The identities of our life change over time. Now we also live in a world where the big topic of conversation is gender. You know, we have male and female, and some people identify in that, but we're also hearing from others that say, we don't identify with those two poles. Maybe we're in between the two, or we're even outside of them completely. And these are hard conversations for us to have. Now, we can choose and say, hey, we're just not going to have those conversations because we don't like them, or that's not where we land. Or we can say, hey, they are happening out there, and we can actually be a part of those, even though they're different than what we have. I believe that more people are in identity crisis now than ever before. And it's not just about gender. And it's not just about race. More people struggle with anxiety now than ever before. Their identity is, well, I'm an anxious person, or I'm an insecure person, or I'm a person of addiction, or I'm a person over here. We have more people that are struggling with who they are than any other time in history. Now, part of what we have to realize, speaking about two sides of the aisle, is that nature and nurture are not the same thing. There are some things that are intrinsic to how we are created. All of us in this room, I believe, are created in the image of God and loved by God, but we're not created the same. And there is something like environmental and experiential nurturing that takes place in people's lives. Some people are the way they are because of nothing that God did and everything that their environment did. And we need to understand that and we need to consider that. I mean, there are people that are created. I'm created in the image of God, but some people are prone to diabetes or cancer or addiction or gambling because we live in brokenness and even creation does not escape some of the brokenness that the enemy brings into it. Another thing that people, and you may not agree with this statement, that's okay because I'm not going to harp on this or stay here a long time, but gender and identity are not the same thing now. I think we have said, if you're on this side, that's who you are. You're on this side, that's who you are. Those things are not always the same thing. But need I remind you that showing other people their sin is also not holiness. Don't you find you do that? We find things that we don't struggle with in others, and we make that the big thing. Look, I don't struggle with alcohol or with pornography 
that doesn't mean that you don't. Or that what I struggle with is less than yours. There's an old saying that says, don't judge people just because they sin differently than you. Isn't that true? We pick the stuff that, that you do that I don't struggle with, and we make those the big things. But Jesus tells us time and time and time again, showing people their sins is not a form of holiness. Here's my thesis for today. If you're a note taker, you want to write this down. Identity crisis stems from not knowing who we are in Christ. And I want to talk about that today as the first and foremost thing. Because I think part of the problem that we have is we get stuck in these conversations that can never be solved. And we make those the primary conversations rather than starting in the correct place. Identity crisis stems from us not knowing who we are in Christ. I want to read a story and then I'm going to share some other verses with you here a little later. There's a story in John chapter 8. I know it says it's not included in the original manuscripts, but it fits. We see this encounter that people have with Jesus time and time again. People will bring them, you know, bring someone to Jesus, or they will go to Jesus and they'll have a conversation with him, and something profound almost always happens. But in John chapter 8, we have a story of the religious leaders of this time bringing someone to Jesus. It says in John chapter 8, beginning in verse 2, At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. Humiliating, though, right? They said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down, started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up, he stood up, and he said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he stooped back down and started writing on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Jesus stood up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus replied. Go now and leave your life of sin. If we read between the lines of what's going on in this story, This woman probably did not feel enough worth. She probably had great insecurities in her life. And maybe she had been rejected by a father or a brother or a first relationship or a first love. And so she desperately wanted to be in a relationship. The problem was all the men that she met didn't really want a relationship. They wanted something else. And so she, in her mind, said, hey, I guess if I want to have a meaningful relationship, I've got to go go about this the opposite way. And now she's caught in the act of adultery, and she's standing before Jesus, wondering if her life will continue. What happens in this moment is that Jesus really, in a weird way, lets her know that no seeking affirmation from men can make you feel loved. There's something missing in your life. And you can fill it with as, as many suitors as you want, but it's never going to make you feel loved. This is an identity 
story that we have in Scripture. Because this person, this woman, is having an encounter with Jesus. Some people say that the story of this woman is Mary Magdalene. Some of them say it's you know, Mary, the, the, the sister of, of, of Lazarus that we see in Luke 12. And then there's a story of Jesus being anointed in Luke 12. You remember this. They're sitting at the table, and this woman comes behind him and starts weeping and wets his feet and wipes them with her hair and then pours perfume on. That's where people say there's some tie-in to this story. It doesn't really matter if you believe that or not. What we realize is this woman who is coming to Jesus has sin in her life. And she just wants a moment to be valuable. And maybe the irony of the story is as the Bible tells us that the the scent of the perfume fills the house. Maybe what Jesus silently says is, listen, no perfume can mask the stench of sin try to cover it up, but it'll be there. Or if we jump forward to Luke 19 and we talk about Zacchaeus, we're not told a lot about Zacchaeus except that he's a short guy and that he works for the IRS. He's chosen a life that really is not going well, and he probably has some wounds. I'm sure there's bullying in his school story. And now he is trying to meet Jesus, and Jesus meets him and gives him an opportunity, and, and, and Zacchaeus realizes that he cannot build his life on cheating people because that is now his identity. And maybe what Jesus is telling him is no amount of money or stuff can fill the missing relationships of your life. The stuff that you most want is the stuff that you don't seek or that you can't have. If you walk out of this worship center today, if you remember, by our coffee bar, there's a a frame and it has some of these words in it. And it's kind of what our vision is for you guys, for all of us, as we gather in this place together. It's meant to say when we encounter Jesus and when we engage with others, we are empowered to change. I've told you this time and time again, I cannot change a single person. But I believe that Jesus can. And I believe that when people see Jesus, it changes the way that they live. Jesus is the only one who can do the changing, who can do the transforming. Our job is simply to try to introduce the two. Hey, you, here's Jesus. Jesus, here's this person, and and, and he'll take it from there. In the Bible, in the New Testament, there is a combination of two words that are life-changing. These two words, if you are an avid reader of your Bible, anytime you see these two words or some derivative of these words, you should underline them or highlight them because they are the most powerful words, in my opinion, in the entire New Testament. They are simply the words in Christ. Let me tell you what I mean by that. When we are in a relationship with Jesus, it changes everything in our life. You see, Jesus accepts our past. Brad says this all the time when he meets us. Hey, it doesn't matter what you brought in here today. It doesn't matter if you brought difficulty or challenge or addiction or brokenness, whatever. It doesn't matter what you brought in here. This is a place that you can lay it down. We say that almost every week because Jesus accepts our past. Jesus also changes our future. When we have a moment with Jesus, when this woman in John 8 has a moment with Jesus, When she leaves and nobody has condemned her, 
he simply says, go and leave your life of sin. What he says is, you can have a different future. That's why I love the name of our church. It's not called Destination Church. It's called Journey Church. Because sometimes on Sundays, we have God has to pick us up and say, I want you on this road. I want you on this journey. I don't want you to go down this dead-end road anymore. I want you to be over here. I want to change your future. And the way that Jesus changes our future is that he gives us identity. Jesus gives us identity. So these two words, in Christ, change everything about how we live if we let him. Now, I'm going to rapid fire some texts at you, so you may want to write them down. But if you go on Google and type in, in Christ, in parentheses, in the Bible, it will bring up all the verses that I'm talking about today if you want to go and reread them yourself. When Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, this is what he says. Therefore, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. For the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. What that says is when you have an encounter with Jesus, you trade identity. He doesn't just renovate what you have. He gives you something new. So whatever our identity is that we bring to Jesus, Jesus says, I'm going to burn that identity down, and we're going to use that as the kindling so that we can make that ash, and you can take up a new identity, that I can give you something new because now you are in Christ. And that changes how we live. If you're still, listen, all of us have struggles. I want you to hear. All of us have difficulties. But if you are in the throes of your identity and who you want to be in Christ are fighting, what that says is you are standing before Jesus, but you're not laying one down. And either you're going to lay down the one you have that's not working for you, or you're going to lay down the opportunity for something new. But you have to lay one down. And too often we get into these bad ruts because we lay down the in Christ part. We take up the one that we struggle with the most. And Jesus says right here and now, you've got to burn one of those. You've got to decide which one that is. What about Romans 8, verses 1 and 2, a very powerful passage that says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ, the law of the Spirit, that gi- the, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. This is an identity passage. Anytime you see the words in Christ, God is speaking to us about identity. Or what about Galatians 2.20? You learn this one at youth camp, don't you? I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ in me. The life that I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's an identity passage. Ephesians 2, verse 10. I could go all day on these. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Or when Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost before what will become the first church, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, he says to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, into the name of Jesus. For the forgiveness of your sins. And God will give you a new identity, which is called the Holy Spirit. Or maybe it's Galatians chapter 3. It says, so 
we who are in Christ are children of God. For all of you who have been baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves This is why baptism is such a powerful thing. I know it's just water. But when we follow Jesus through death and resurrection, there's a reason why we talk about resurrection. It's not just going back to the old way. It's not a reset. It's a resurrection. God gives us something new, something we didn't have before. That's why Christian symbols matter, because they help us realize what it means to be in Christ. And like I've told you before, if you got up in the morning and you're looking at the mirror, if you sort of spiritually thought about putting Jesus on before you put anything else on, it would change the way that we live our lives. That's why I believe that identity crisis stems from not knowing who we are in Christ. I'm not saying that means we're never going to struggle with anything else. What I'm saying is that's the one that matters and that's the one we need to do first. We need to make sure that we know that we're his, that he made us, that he loves us, and that that is what what we're called to live into. And once we deprioritize some of these big, hot hot topic conversations and kind of put them in their rightful place, they will not nearly match who we are in Christ. We've got to start there every single day. And I believe that when we tell ourselves and when we tell God, this is who I'm choosing to be in you first, God will help us with everything else that he has to do. doesn't mean that he just makes it all go away. I want you to hear me clearly. But if we know who we are in Christ first, it changes everything. I started off today by telling you I think that people are in identity crisis, which I think is true. I think we all struggle with this from time to time. Allow me to be cheesy for just a second. We don't need identity crisis. What we need is identity crisis. We need people to start with the gospel. We need these two words, in Christ, to change us, to form us, to shape everything that we do. And if we start there, We start with his identity in us. It will change the conversation so much. You know, uh, we're going to take communion or the Lord's Supper today. I'm sure you grabbed one of these. If you didn't, you can grab one here in just a second. Don't worry about it. Um, These are just, they're really cool little chalice cups. And they have bread and they have juice in them. And these are simple symbols. You know, God didn't need these symbols. Um, I think we do. (laughs) There's something visceral about chewing a little cracker and and drinking, drinking a little juice that sort of connects with our brains and reminds us who we are. So I want to give you an opportunity today to meet Jesus, (laughs) to have an encounter with him. Because that's what we really are doing when we take the Lord's Supper. When we close our eyes, when we remember Jesus, we see his face in front of us. And it's just between him and us. And we need these moments. You see, this gives us identity. 
reminds us how valuable we are and how loved we are and that God would stop at nothing to make us his own. These symbols are about identity. The same way that baptism is about identity, the same way that coming to church, the same way that giving, the same way that serving is about identity. Because all those things are about being in Christ. And so I want to let you have an encounter with Jesus today. Uh, we're going to have some people up front here that are willing to pray with you. If there's something going on in your life, maybe, maybe you're just coming off a really bad struggle. Maybe you've lost yourself in the midst of of some habits, some failures. Maybe you think, well, I'm not good enough for God anymore. You have an opportunity <laughs> to have an identity moment with him, to meet Jesus, to know that he's the only one that can change us and shape us and perform us. So as we share in these simple symbols, this body and this blood, you're meeting Jesus. standing in front of him with two hands, one that has the identity that you want or that you have, and the identity that he's willing to give you, and you have to decide to lay one down. Father, today, as we share in body and blood, may you be in our midst, may you allow these, these symbols to speak to our hearts. Father, as we close our eyes right now, may we just see your face. May, may we see you in front of us. And maybe today you're, you're saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Just keep doing what you're doing. And maybe today you're saying, go and leave your life of sin. And Father, whatever we need to hear today that drives us towards greater identity in you, may we hear it powerfully and mightily today. Jesus, we thank you that you are willing to take our broken lives and fill them with your presence so that we can be in Christ. Bless us as we share today. We pray this all through Jesus and the church together today.